0: Alright, it's really good to see you all. Um, it's, as always, it's a privilege and a joy to be here with you guys. Um, tonight, we're going to continue in our uh, study of Christology. Right? Uh, we've, we've taken a little bit of a break from Jesus in the Old Testament. We were finding Jesus in the Old Testament for about like, two years. And now we've taken kind of a little bit of a break. But we're really not breaking away from the theme. The theme is, is that Christ, the Scriptures are centered in Christ. It's all about Him, and Christology is the study of Christ, right? Christo, the Anointed One, ology, the study of the Anointed One. So we're studying Christ. <clears throat> and if you guys remember, um, we were using a creed, uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. There's a lot of creeds out there. Any Lutherans in here? You would use the Augsburg Confession. Um, if you were a Presbyterian, you would use the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's a lot of creeds out there. Um, uh, this guy was telling me here earlier, what's your first name? Josh? John, Josh? Yeah. yeah, Josh was telling me at his Methodist church, and I grew up my grandparents' Methodist church, we said the Apostles' Creed every week. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And although the Apostles' Creed is not God-inspired, it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit, per se, like the words of Scripture are, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, assigned apostles and prophets and teachers to build up the church. And one of the ways that they would build up the church is by making these creedal statements. they would take the scriptures and they would make summary statements, short summary statements about something that the Scriptures teach. So when we say, "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ His only Son, our Lord, uh, born of the of Virgin Mary, see the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, uh, third day rose from dead, He ascended into heaven, He sits at the right hand of God the Father, from there He'll go, come and judge the quick and the dead." And what that is is that is a, a statement. A, it's a summary of the life of what Jesus did when, in His earthly ministry. It's a summary of the. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity at work in the redemptive narrative, right? That they came to redeem their creation to save us from sin. And so it's just a short way if you're hanging out with your friends and you can say, they say, well, what do you believe? You can say that. You can say, well, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And, and it's a summary statement of sound Christian doctrine. And the reason that they made these creedal statements is because there's constantly heresies creeping into the church. And so God used these apostles, God used these um, prophets, God used these teachers to, to help to secure what we believe. Now, the Scriptures are the only true inspired source of truth. But these creeds that we have been using are summary statements of that truth. And as you'll see in the handout that I handed you today, every statement that I'm going to make in our lesson today as we're going through it has got a footnote and a reference to a Bible Scripture. And what I want to encourage you to do is don't take anything that I say for truth until you back it up with what the Scriptures say. If what I say and what the Scriptures say are not uh, in uh, harmony then somebody's wrong and I promise you it's me not the scriptures amen and it's the same for you right now I'm going to bring up some statements today that are going to challenge you that are going to force you to reckon with and reason with some things that you've been taught all of your life but I wanted to challenge you and force you into the scriptures to find out what saith the Lord because all of us in this room are influenced by tradition. All of us in this room can be caught up in traditions of our religion that can cause us to err from the truth. As we studied the life of Christ, we saw that. The PhDs and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, scribe, the, the most religious people in all of the world took God's Word and cloaked it in tradition and lost the effects of the truth. Then when the very Word of God stood before them, they rejected Him. See? And you and I are very capable of doing that too. We're human beings and we err. And so what I, what I, the reason I bring this creedal statement up is because I think it does a, a very good job of helping us to learn about Christology. Christ. And to study him. And so, in the past, um, in this group, we, uh, we had talked about some of the different things. Who remembers the three roles? Who remembers the three roles that Christ came to fulfill? Does anybody remember? Three roles that Jesus came to fulfill. One of them was the same as the role that Moses had, one of them was the same as the role Aaron had, and one of them was the same as the role of David. What was Moses? A prophet. So Jesus is the prophet. All of the other prophets speak of him.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. The second one would have been Aaron. What was Aaron? A priest. a priest. Jesus is our high priest. So not only is Jesus the prophet, he is the high priest. Now he couldn't be like Aaron because he was not a Levite. I don't know how people think that one day they're going to build that temple back over there in Israel and start offering animal sacrifice again and Jesus is going to be in the midst of that because the reality is is Jesus is from the tribe of Judah and he does not qualify to be in the temple doing anything. He's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, a completely different priesthood. Okay, Jesus would have never been qualified to go in and do sacrifices in the temple because he was not a Levite. He was not from the tribe of Aaron. Moses and Aaron were from the tribe of Levi. Right? Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And because He's from the tribe of Judah, guess what He is qualified to be? King of kings. Hallelujah. He's David's great-great-grandson. He's in the bloodline. He's qualified to be the king. And He is the king. He is ruling and reigning right now. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And right now in this wackadoo world that we live in that you think is falling apart all around you, Jesus is sitting on the throne and the angels are hailing Him as King of King and Lord of Lords. And all of our forefathers that have died and gone on to heaven are doing the same thing. He is the King. So Jesus came to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. And we learned that in one of our classes a couple, like two months ago. Um, last time we were together, we talked about the fact that Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. What is a mediator?
1: It
0: goes, to uh, goes between, right? Like a lawyer kind of, right? An advocate, right? Between us and God. Jesus is 100% man, and Jesus is 100% God. And me and you can't figure that out because we're only 100% man or woman, right? Sons of Adam daughter We can't figure that out. That doesn't make sense to us because we're only 100%. Jesus is 200%. He's fully God. He's fully man. He had to be a man because He had to die in Adam's place. He had to be God because He had to come back from the dead. So Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. And we learn because He is fully man and fully God, He is qualified to go to the Father on our behalf. He is a high priest. So as the prophet, He can speak to us the words of God. So that we can know God and understand Him. As the priest, He can intercede for us because not only was He the sacrifice, but He is the priest. And He can intercede for us with the Father. Right? And He's also the King. There's nothing happening in this world that's out of His control. He's not looking down on you right now pulling His hair going, oh no, what am I going to do with her or Him? God is completely in control. All right. The reason we're out of control is because we're not trusting His control. We're trying to fight it. We're trying to reject it. But, <clears throat> so today what we're going to talk about, I handed that passage, uh, we're going to read two paragraphs today. One of them is going to be Jesus' atoning work, and the second one is going to be Jesus' accomplished reconciliation. All right. So we're going to talk about Jesus' atoning work, what does atonement mean? Anybody ever told you all that at one Y'all ever heard that before? At one He atones for our sin. He he paid he he makes it where we can be in relation with God. He lived the life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve so that we could have a life we could never earn. And it's all through his grace. So think about that. If you're in this room today and you were born again, blood-bought child of God, the reality is you're going to heaven and it's not because of anything that you do. Jesus lived the life that qualifies you for heaven. You didn't. He fulfilled the law. He did everything that His Father willed of Him. He completely followed and never fell. Sinless Son of God. So there's only one man in heaven today who deserves to be there. Jesus. Okay? And when He died on that cross, it said, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God. Right? So what did He do? He died on the cross. He became sin for us. And He died taking what? Our sin. He died and took our sin away. And because He has covered my sins in His blood, God is no longer angry with me. God is no longer condemning me because Christ has taken the condemnation that I deserve. But not only that, when God made me aware of that, opened my heart, my ears, my mind, and my life to that reality and regenerated my heart and gave me the faith to believe in Him, not only did He take away my sins, but He imputed His righteousness to me. He shared His righteousness with me. So that when I go to heaven one day, it's going to be because of His goodness, not mine. If you're in this room today and you're depending on anything you've done to get you to heaven, you are in trouble. And that even includes raising your hand and walking down an aisle and asking Jesus into your heart. That may be an evidence that you are saved, but that is not what saves you. What saves you is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What saves you is the power of God's Word and His Holy Spirit regenerating your heart and saving you by a grace you could never earn or deserve. Amen? You see how that works? It's not how much faith you have that's going to get you to heaven. Because every one of us in this room knows we doubt every day. One doubt is enough to send you to hell forever. One doubt. That's the sin of unbelief. All right. So, I want you to turn with me really quickly. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture before we read the paragraphs. First, I want you to turn to uh, Corinthians. The book of Corinthians. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. This is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. When I came to you, brethren... Who's he talking to? Fellow believers. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with a superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, do you remember I told you that all of the Scriptures is centered on Christ? Well, Paul says that my ministry is centered on what Jesus did on the cross. I can't come to you with archaeological evidence and and facts and philosophy and, and worldly wisdom. I can't come in with a good sales pitch and convince you to believe in Jesus Christ. What He has commanded me to do is to tell you that you are a sinner and that you deserve hell and Christ died on the cross to save sinners like you. If you will turn from sin itself and turn to what Christ did on that cross for you by taking your sin, He will not only take your sin away, but He will share His righteousness with you and give you the gift of eternal life. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's only God's grace that gives it to you. If you're in this room today and you know in your heart that you need that salvation, it's because God's grace is at work in your life. And whom He calls, He will never push away. If He calls you to Him, He will accept you. Right? And that's the fact. Salvation is not you accepting Jesus Christ. Salvation is Jesus Christ accepting you. Amen. And the proof that He accepted you is He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And He poured His blood out on that cross and breathed His last breath for sinners like me and you. Amen. You see how that works? And that's what Paul saying. The focus of my ministry is what Jesus did on that cross for me. I died with Him on that. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me in the life that I now I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see? Yes, and that was the focus of Paul's ministry was the, the cross. It was foolishness to the world. It was foolishness to the Greeks who were all full of Plato and philosophy and, and, and all kind of big fancy... Gnostic Gnosticism and knowledge and wisdom and worldly things. And it was foolishness to the Jews because the Jews were going about to establish the righteousness of their own through the law. You see? And the preaching of the cross is foolishness to both Jews and Gentiles. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to all of those who are perishing. And for me to sit up here with some soft music and get you all worked up into some emotional lather so that you'll come forward and give your heart to Jesus, that is not the cross. The cross is saying you deserve to be where He was. And He loved you and He died in your place. And if you don't turn from your sin to yourself and turn to what He did for you on the cross, you will die and bust hell wide open. He loves sinners like you, but if you die rejecting Him, He will you will die with Him rejecting you. Repent. Turn away from sin itself and turn to what Christ did. And that's what Paul did. He focused on the cross. And so, if you can see, today's lesson is on Jesus' atoning work. The work that He did on the cross. This is what Paul focused on in his ministry. And this should be something that is important to both you and me. We should be able to go into the Scriptures and read it and understand what, what it's all about. So let's do that. Now, I'm going to read this creedal statement to you, and then we're going to get into the scriptures to prove what the creedal statement says. It says this Jesus willingly accepted this office. The office of what? Intercessor. All right? Uh, Sacrifice. In order to fulfill it, he was born under the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law and suffered the punishment we deserve which we should have endured and suffered, He was made sin and a curse for us. He endured extremely serious sorrow in His soul and extremely painful suffering in His body. He was crucified and He died. And He remained in a state of death, but His body did not decay. On the third day He rose from the dead with the same body in which He suffered. In this body He also ascended into heaven where He sits at the right hand of His Father and intercedes. He will return to judge humanity and the angels at the end of the age. Alright, so there's the creedal statement. Now let's get into some Scriptures and prove it. Let's prove that what that statement says is what the Scriptures teaches, alright? First one we want to look at, Jesus willingly accepted this office. Let's look at Psalms 40, 7 and 8. Psalms 40, 7 and 8. I'm going to go faster tonight because we have not been able to finish anything and I'm going to try to get through this tonight if I can. So Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Are y'all there? It says this. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. Who wrote this? David. David, Who's speaking? His great-grandson. The Holy Spirit is using (coughs) David to profess what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? He said, In the scroll of the book it is written of me. What is that telling us? The Scriptures are about Him. I delight to do Your will. Oh my God, Your law is within my heart. Alright? Who is He talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And think about this. I delight to do Your will. We talked about this last time we were together. How do I know the will of God? How many of you ask, what is God's will for my life? All right? Y'all ask that all the time? Well, I got the answer for you. Ready? Here's the will of God for your life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's God's will for you. It's not a good job. It's not a fancy home. It's not a a happy romantic marriage that lasts for 70 years. It's not four kids and, and a bank full of money. Some of those things may happen. But God's will, what does He desire of you? He desires obedience. He desires a heart that is willing to serve Him and live for Him. To be His slave. And a slave of God is the freest man walking the earth today. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And so what is God's will for your life? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two laws hang all of the laws and the the prophets. Right? That's what He told the guy. Alright? Well, where do we learn those things? to love God and love our neighbor? The golden rule? Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Where do we learn to love God and love our neighbor? In the Scriptures. The Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. Uh, No idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All of those have to do with loving God. You want to know how to love God? Keep His commandments. No other gods before Him. No idols. Don't take His name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day and keep holy. That's how you show that you love Him by walking obediently in those laws. Now you can say, wait a minute, we're not under the law anymore. You're not under the condemnation of the law. The law cannot condemn you if you're in Christ because Christ has already paid the punishment you deserve. But the law is the written will of God. And for you to say, oh well... We're not under the law anymore. Next time somebody tells you that, smack them in the mouth and take their wallet. Oh. <laughs> what are they going to do? They're going to get mad because of what? Wait, no, no, no. You just stole from them. Yeah. And I guarantee that law is written down their hearts when it's their wallet coming out of their pocket. Yeah. You see? God's will is for you to love people and not steal from them. God's will is for you to love people not cheat on their wives and their husbands. God's will is for you to... To honor your parents. God's will is for you to be truthful. God's will is for you not to covet other people's things. That's His will. And Jesus said, I delight to do your will because your law is written in my heart. Amen. See? And so, what is this teaching us? It's teaching that all through the Old Testament it was written of Him coming. Alright? Let's look at Hebrews 10, 5-10. Hebrews 10, 5-10. Alright? Let's start with verse 4. Look what it says. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Where did they learn about blood of bulls and goats taking away sin? The law. The law of Moses points people to sacrifice. But those goats and those bulls that, that all died, none of them ever took away a single sin because every year the priest had to come back and do it again. Every year he had, every week he had to keep coming back and doing it over and over and over again. Why? Because it wasn't doing anything. It was, it was an expression of a person's faith, but that shed blood from that bull was not saving anybody. Alright? Now look what it says. Therefore, when he comes in the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In Holborn, offering and sacrifice for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book and it is written of me to do your will, O God. Is there an echo in the room? The writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 40 right here, is he not? Yeah. And look what it says next. After saying, above sacrifice and offerings, hold burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Do you understand that? How did He establish the will of God? By coming and dying on the cross. He fulfilled the law. He did everything His Father asked Him to do. He walked in complete accordance with the law. That was God's will. And then God's will was for Him to die on the cross. Right? He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Now, He did not take away the the Ten Commandments. But there's other laws, is there not? There's the civil law. There's the... uh, the cultic law. When I say cult, the word cult, by the way, means worship, okay? So if you know somebody's in a cult, they're in a false worship system. But the cultist means worship. And the cultic laws were the laws of the book of Leviticus. If you open up the book of Leviticus and read it, that's the Jewish cultic laws. The things that God gave them to do in order to remember that they needed their sins atoned for. Okay? But look what it says here. In verse nine. Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. If you think that going to take a communion is going to take away sin for you, you got another thing coming. If you think that getting baptized in water is going to take away your sin, you got another thing coming. Those are things that we do as expressions of our faith and they are commanded by God for us to do them. But they are nothing more than a picture of what Christ has already done for us. Amen? You see how that works? And what what Paul or whoever... I think Paul wrote Hebrew. They argue about it, but I think he wrote it. What he's saying right here is this. All of the blood and bulls and goats, none of that ever fixed it, anything. It was Jesus coming and doing the will of His Father and dying on that cross that has set us apart and sanctified us for salvation. And by that one sacrifice, one sacrifice, He has sanctified forever all of those who are in Christ. And having offered one sacrifice for sin for all times, He sat down at the right hand of God. Why did He sit down? It is finished. It is finished. That's exactly right. There's nothing more for Him to do. It has been It is done. Paid in full. And all we have to do is turn from what we're doing and turn to what He has done. Turn from sin itself and turn to what Christ has done on the cross. His atoning work on that cross. Amen? Mm -hmm. And let's look at another statement. In order to fulfill it, He was born under the law. What does that mean, He was born under the law? Mm
1: -hmm. What
0: What was the only nation in the world that had the law? Israel. The Canaanites didn't have the Ten Commandments. They had, might have had Hammurabi's Code or whatever. But they didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the cultic system of sacrifices, did they? Who was the only one that had the Scriptures? Paul, Paul makes that very clear in Romans. Uh, look at Romans 10. Of course, I'm chasing rabbits now. I should stay on subject. Look at this in Romans uh, actually Romans 9. look at Romans 9 and look what it says. Romans 9 verse 1. <clears throat> I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit, that I have a great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Paul is sad. He's broken-hearted and sorrowful. Why? For I wish myself a curse separated for Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Alright, now let's get some things straight here. In Corinthians, Paul called those people his brethren. The Corinthian church was a Gentile church. They were his brothers in Christ. Paul is saying right here he has a sorrow in his heart for his brothers according to the flesh. Which would be who? Sons of Abraham. Alright? Why is he sorry? Look what it says. Who are Israelites to whom belong the adoption of sons, the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. God did everything that Israelites needed them to do for them to be saved. And all they had to do was trust Him and they wouldn't. And Paul is broken hearted because of all the advantages they have. Now, I want you to think about something. And this is going to have implications later in the passage. On the Day of Atonement, when the high priest went in and sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. Was that high priest making sacrifices for the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, and all of thoseites? No. That sacrifice was just for God's people. It was a specific group of people that that sacrifice was being made for. The Amorites, Hittites, Israelites, all the Israelites out there, they, did, they had no hope. They were in the dark. And you remember when Jesus came, He came to who? The Israelites. But upon their rejection, what did He do? He turned the message to the Gentiles. And now the Gentiles have the message. Right? And so... Paul is saddened, why? Because the Israelites had it all. They had the law, the prophets, they had everything that they needed for salvation and they rejected every bit of it to establish a righteousness of their own. And Paul is broken hearted about that. So, what am I saying? In order to fulfill it, he was born under the law. jesus If you go back and you read the book of Luke, the uh, book of Matthew, uh, the genealogies of Jesus, right one of them runs him all the way back to Adam, one of them runs him back to Abraham son of Abraham, son of Adam. Right? And it's all in this the tribe of Judah why? Because the tribe of Judah is where the king had to come from. You see what I mean? Like he he was born under the law and he fulfilled all of the stipulations of the law. That's what that statement means. So he's born of the law, he perfectly fulfilled the law and suffered the punishment we deserve that we sh- should have endured and suffered. He was made sin and a curse for us. He endured extreme sorrow in His soul and painful suffering in His body. He was crucified and died and remained in that state of death, but His body did not see decay. Why did His body not see decay?
1: Huh?
0: Yeah, but He he was in the ground for three days. He didn't even get rigor mortis. Well, He was human. He was man too. But the Old Testament prophet said that his soul would not see corruption. That his body would not decay. He, his soul would not... Like, that was part of the prophecy. And the reality is it's death that has no claim on his body. Because he's the sinless son of God. And one day, we get a new body and we'll be the same. We'll have a body like this. And we'll get old. Right? We we'll won't get tired. We'll have to wear relief sandals because my feet hurt from walking on concrete all day long. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be a good time. I ain't going to have to keep going every three or four years to the eye doctor and getting my eye prescription redone because I'm going to have perfect vision. We'll have a body like his one day. And the struggle is, is that if you are truly in this room today and you're a child of God, you have an eternal uh, a new man inside of you that's wrapped inside of a, an old man that's still dying. And there's a battle going on. You're ready to get out, ready to enjoy the eternity that He's promised for us. So, let's look at a couple of those passages. Galatians 4.4. 4. What, what actually skip Galatians because 4, 4, that's him being born under the law. Let's look at Galatians three thirteen. Galatians three thirteen says this Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law have been made being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, that curse to everyone who's hanging on a tree is from the old testament. It was a statement made by God, right? And now Jesus is hanging on a tree. He is becoming a curse for us. He became a curse for us. Alright? So, He's suffering on that tree. Isaiah 53.6 Isaiah 53.6 We're talking about Jesus. Why are we going back to Isaiah 53? Anybody know? It it is a prophecy of the suffering servant, right? Suffering servant. servant. Yeah. let's look at it. Let's look at Isaiah 53. Um, well, let's just look at it. Starting in verse 1. "...Who has believed our message, and to whom has the, the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men... He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. Surely. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities the chastening of our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. Some of y'all, by His stripes we are healed, right? That's not talking about your getting your limp taken care of. It's talking about the uh, by His stripes He healed us from our sin nature. He saved us from eternal damnation through sin. He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter and like a sheep that is silenced before its shears, He did not open His mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor there was any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Alright, now what's amazing about that, this was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born telling them what their Messiah was going to look like. And it was basically saying He's going to die on a cross. He's going to be beaten and stricken. Right? He's going to be buried with a rich man in His death. Where, did he, where was Jesus buried? In Lazarus' tomb. Uh, remember? Yes. Uh, not Lazarus' tomb. In, uh, it was Nicodemus and... What was the guy's name?
1: Joseph.
0: Arimathea. Arimathea. Joseph Arimathea was a rich man. Remember he had 150 pounds of spices that they paired Jesus' body with. But he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And so all of this is all prophesied and tells us um, what Jesus would do when he comes. come. He was put to grief. He suffered for us. And that's very important for us to remember. Alright? The third day he arose from the dead with the same body that he suffered. In this body he also ascended in heaven. Now, um, there's a lot of people, there's a there's a group of people. There are several false religions out there that teach that Jesus is an angel or that Jesus is a spirit. right? The Muslims believe that the body that was nailed to the cross was a, was a spirit and that Jesus in His real body was sitting up on the side of a mountain watching them crucify His spirit and laughing about it. That's what they believe. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel now the problem with that is is without the shedding of blood there can be no remission of sin blood has to be shed so that sins can be remitted right? and then angels don't bleed it's just that simple spirits don't bleed they don't have blood So Jesus poured His blood out on that cross and it was His physical body that was buried in that grave. It was His physical body that rose from the grave and it was His physical body that ascended into heaven. And it's His physical body that is sitting on the throne right now in heaven. And when He comes back down here, He will physically come back and appear. Right? That's very important. And as you see, this creedal statement is making sure that we understand how important it is that He came and body That he was a man. He was a son of Adam. He was a physical man who died a physical death, suffered a spiritual death and a physical death uh, on that cross uh, for us. He took what we deserve so that we could have what he he could give. And that's his righteousness. All right. So we're going to try to finish up. Um, Let's go ahead and look at Jesus' accomplished reconciliation. Now, this is the part I told you I was gonna challenge you on. What does it mean to say that Jesus accomplished reconciliation? right
1: God.
0: Okay. To say it's accomplished, what does that mean? It is finished. It's done. There's nothing left to be done about it. Okay? Good. All right. Now this is the part that's going to challenge you. Um, so it says the price of redemption was not actually paid by Christ until after His incarnation. Alright, so what does that mean? That means all the people in the Old Testament, the price was not uh, paid until He actually came in His physical body and died on the cross. Uh, but actually, I'm, I'm, that's next week's lesson. That's Friday's lesson. We're getting to that Friday. I, I read ahead. God, my bad. That's sick. Look at 5. By his perfect obedience and the sacrifice of himself which he offered up to God through the eternal spirit, the Lord Jesus has, and this is three things that we're going to see. Number one, he has fully satisfied the justice of God. What does that mean to say that he has fully satisfied the justice of God?
1: He's happy with what he's done. Okay. right.
0: Why are people burning in hell today? They're not saved. They Jesus.
1: What is the purpose of hell? It's a, place,
0: it's a place, place. of eternal torment. What what is the purpose of it? Why would God send somebody to hell? Uh,
1: because you not
0: it's it's follow his will. It says just justice. They're paying you do the crime, you do the time and the crime of sin is an eternal punishment why are they burning in hell because they are paying for their sins amen, amen. is that true is there anybody here that disagrees with the fact that the reason people are in hell is because God's justice is on display they are being punished for what they've done now how many people deserve hell all of, all of us me and you too it should not make us happy and delighted that uh, people are there because but for the grace of God, there go I. Alright? Right? How many people deserve to be in heaven?
1: Nobody.
0: Nobody. Nobody. Why are they there?
1: Grace.
0: God's grace. What? Because salvation is a gift from God. It's a gracious gift. Okay? There's not going to be one person in heaven that can brag and say, I deserve to be here. Every person in heaven except Jesus can say, I deserve to be in hell. Is that a fair statement? Would you all agree with that? Yes. Okay. to say that Jesus's work on the cross fully satisfied the justice of God means that for those he died for Jesus has already t- taken the eternal hell they deserve you see what, see how it, it God's justice has been satisfied if Jesus dies on the cross for you then His Father took the wrath you deserve and poured it on His Son so that you could escape. And then God granted you His righteousness in its place. He took your hell and gave you His heaven. And that's His gift to you. And it's not because you deserve it. It's because He's a gracious God. On the last day, on Judgment Day, everybody, every man will stand before God. And those who go to hell will glorify God by showing that He is a just God. Everyone that goes to heaven will glorify God by showing that He's a merciful God. Fair enough? Are you with me? Every person that's going to be in hell is there because God is a just God and they deserve it. Every person that's going to be in heaven. He's there because God is a gracious God and He sent His Son to save him. Who gets to decide that? God. God. He's the Creator. He's the one that created you. He can do with you what He wishes. He's God. You are creation. He is Creator. Is there anybody that will be in hell that can point a finger at God and say, This is not fair? I don't deserve this. No. No. Is there anybody going to be in heaven that said this is is fair, I do deserve this? No. No. So, in the end, when the whole thing is played out, God is going to be glorified in His justice and God is going to be glorified in His mercy. The message is preached to you and I. Because you and I do not know who He died to save we don't know. That's the son. That's between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But what I can tell you is this, that He died on a cross to save sinners like me and you. And if you will turn from your sin and turn to Him, He will receive you based on what His Son Jesus did on that cross. And He will forgive you and He will give you eternal life. This very moment. And it's not because you're good. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you're a recovering alcoholic. It's not because your mommy or your daddy abused you when you was a kid. It's because He is a loving God that takes broken people and saves them from their brokenness. He died on that cross to take all of that suffering and pain away. And if you decide that you want to hold on to it and keep it for yourself, you'll carry it eternally. Let it go. Give it to Christ. And if you know what I'm telling you is true, it's because He died for you and He's calling you to it, and He wants you to trust Him. You see how that works? So, who am I supposed to share the Gospel with? Everybody. 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 <clears throat> Why? Because it's through the preaching of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that God draws His people out. Mm-hmm. That's how God works. It's through the preached Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that God draws the people to Himself. Alright? we got a couple more minutes look what he says here so number one are we clear on that that Jesus' death on the cross fully satisfied God's justice can we say amen to that is that a biblical fact alright next number two that sacrifice on that cross obtained reconciliation it reconciled a people to God the Father amen yes because
1: if
0: not, we would all be dead by now. That's exactly right. Alright, Louis says next. <clears throat> and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for everyone whom the Father has given to Jesus. Alright, now, this is where I, I'm going to challenge you because this I grew up teaching this. Jesus died to save every person. When he, Jesus died on the cross, He paid for the sins of every man and woman that's ever lived, every sin that they've ever committed. Jesus died for all the world. He died for every person and He died for every sin. I'm sure that that's what you've been taught. That's what I've been taught all my life. Is it true? If Jesus' death on the cross fully satisfied the justice of God and Jesus paid for every sin of every person that's ever lived, then what's the problem? Right.
1: It's us. A problem. A problem. We're
0: the problem. <clears throat> if Jesus died for every person, if Jesus died for every person that's ever lived and paid for every single sin that they've ever committed, then how many people's sins are covered through Jesus' death on the cross? Everyone. Everyone.
1: Everyone. 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 Know Everyone.
0: Then that means that the people that are in hell today are paying for something that Jesus paid for all of us. Is there going be no purpose of anything? We can just do what
1: we want to do, right?
0: Are you following the logic in that? I want you to think about what's happening. I know this is going to challenge you and push you. Because it challenged and pushed me. And for about 10 years, I had to struggle through the scriptures to figure out what happened. If he paid for every sin of every person that ever lived, then every person that ever lived has been forgiven for all of their sin, and nobody can go to hell. So the God's atoning work is universal. That means that everyone is universally saved.
1: He died for the sin, but you have to receive it.
0: Okay. What? Now, yeah. so if a person goes to hell, what you're saying is the reason they go to hell is because they did not receive it. They did not receive okay. yeah. What is the purpose of someone not receiving Jesus? Bless them. Why would somebody so, reject Him? people. stiff people, they are what? What's the word for stiff-knit person? Hard. Different. They have a
1: hard. Hard. hard and hard. Hard and They're not ready to receive. They what? Sometimes they're not ready to receive. They're it's just kind of glory and
0: it to get them to that point. Why would a person reject God? What's the, what's the answer to that? Unbelief. Unbelief.
1: Unbelief. Huh?
0: So what you're saying is... Is Jesus died for every sin on the cross except for the sin of unbelief? Oh, are you with me? Because unbelief is a sin. Yes. yes. And if Jesus died for every sin of every person that's ever lived, that means He died for the sin of unbelief. That means that every person that's ever lived is forgiven. They are forgiven. All right. Now, so I want you, um, I want y'all to hear what He said because that. The, here's what's going on. What we do as human beings is we reason everything from a human perspective towards God. And this is what we say. In order for God to be fair, He needs to offer salvation to everybody. And He had to have died for everybody to pay for sin. But think about this. When He died on the cross, Judas was already dead in unbelief. Was he not? So, some people say this, well, Jesus looked down in the time and he saw that one day you were going to be a believer so he died for you. In a sense. So watch, what I, watch what we're saying. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, died for every person that was ever to believe on. Okay, So what we're basing Jesus' death on that cross on is not the Father's will, but on the wills of men. Amen. See, God looked down into the future and saw that you would willingly believe in Him one day, so He loved you and He died for you to save you. So what was that sacrifice based on? Your will. What you want. See how that works?
1: That's why he gives this I, I want it to. I want to challenge you because here's the
0: reality. The reality is that Jesus died to save a people. Look at what that statement says. And then we're going to look at John six again. We looked at it last week. Look what it says. He purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven heaven for everyone whom the Father gave to Him. Yes. All right. So go back to, go look at John 6. Look at John 6, verse 29. Jesus answered them and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. So they said to Him, What then do you do for a so that we may see and believe you? What word do you do? Our fathers have manna. Skip down in verse 35. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will not, not hunger, and he who believes in Me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me and yet you do not believe. Now look at verse 37. How many? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me. Watch now. This is the Father's will for Jesus. That's what He's saying right here, right? Look what He said in verse 39. This is the will of Him who sent me, that, on, that all that He gives me, I lose nothing but raise them up on the last day. So what Jesus is saying right there is, My Father's will is, is that I save every single one that He gives to me. All of the believers, it's called the church, is it not? The church is the body and bride of Christ. Right? Right? the Father is the one that gives the bride to the Son. The believers are a gift from the Father to the Son. So what is God's will for all believers? That they all be saved, that not one be lost. That's His will, that none be lost. So if Jesus died on the cross to save every person that's ever lived and there are people in hell today, that means somebody got lost. <coughs> that the good shepherd laid his life down for a sheep that got away. Is that fair to say? Yes. If he died for every person that's ever lived, then there are people in hell today that he died to save. What that saying is is that his sacrifice was not good enough to save because their will, person's was. will, was able to override God's will.
1: That's, what it is. That's exactly right.
0: So what you have going on there is it's also God's will that thou shalt not murder. Right? right? Um, was it God's will that Jesus died on the cross with people stabbing him and killing him? Yeah, it was his will. That his son go and die on the cross. So when you talk about God's will, you have to understand that God has a decorative will and God has a permissive will. God decrees that thou shalt not kill. Does God allow people to kill?
1: Yes. yes. He yes. Yeah. The will.
0: But everything that God permits is one day going to be turned around for His good and His glory. That's right. You see? So... When we say it is God the Father's desire that any should perish, so who are we supposed to preach to? To all. I preach the gospel to every creature. That's what I'm commanded to do. Why? Because I don't know who his sheep are. That's right. I have no idea. But I do know this. I do know that as I preach the gospel, as I preach the word of God, the power of God's spirit draws a people unto himself. That's right. And so when you talk about people being in unbelief, you've got to understand that there's thousands of generations of people that never heard the name Jesus. Like, there are people that literally died never hearing the gospel. Did God allow that to happen? See, we say it's not fair. God God has to be fair. He has to offer salvation to everybody. Or He's not fair. No. Fair is everybody goes to hell. That's fair. We don't want fair. We don't want justice. We want mercy. We want mercy. Amen. So we're not looking for fair what's fair. We're looking for God have mercy on me. Because I deserve hell. That's right. See? So... Every person in the entire world limits the work of Jesus on the cross. Every person. I limit it by saying that Jesus died on the cross to save all of those that the Father gave to Him. Alright? So I limit it in scope. What do I mean by that? I limit it to the number of people He died to save. That's how I limit what Jesus did on the cross. He died to save all, which is more than the stars in the sky More than sand on the seashore, but He died for all that the Father gave to Him to save. The rationale that you use limits God's, Jesus' work on the cross by limiting His efficacy, His workingness. You see, if a person does not, if Jesus died to save that person on the cross, but He refuses to believe, then that man's will has now overridden
1: he gives us that will to do that. He gives us the will to. Well, he He gives us that that separates us from the angels. He gives us the will to to accept or to accept or deny Jesus the the, the, stack, the sacrifice of the Son on the cross. Right. Everyone has an opportunity. I believe that every person will have an opportunity to 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 accept or reject. And those who didn't, like you said, those who didn't. That never heard that never heard. Those had to be the ones that went into the where Moses and all of them when, when Jesus went back when he died on the cross, he went and preached to somebody.
0: Okay.
1: And they and he brought and those people who would believe in him would would, would come to him. So he
0: went down there and preached to the one that never got a chance to hear it, that I That's that
1: and the, yeah. They have to accept him as, as Jesus is the Son of God. I want I, what
0: I want you to do and I want you to think the, the notes that I gave you, the, the, the passage of script I gave you, especially that John 6 passage. Go back and read. This is what he said No man can come to the Father unless the Father draws. Well, well. Now, watch what he said No man can come. That's ability. Right. It's not will. Because if it was will, he'd say No one may come unless the Father draws. Right. He said No man can. That he doesn't have the opportunity to come unless the cause of the So, why am I even bringing this up? What's the big point? Why am I even make a big deal of it? This is giving me a headache. I don't, really don't want to think about it. Because we need to understand what Jesus did on the cross. Paul's central message was the cross, and we need to determine who did Jesus die to save. If you say he died to save everyone... Behind your premise is going to be that everybody's got free will. Who's the whosoever in John 3, All of the believing ones. That passage... That right. passes says whosoever. Right. The, in in whosoever the original will. language, it says all. Yeah. Will. All of the whosoever believing will. ones. Right. So, the believing is not what saves you in its expression that you are saved. The whosoever's are all that the Father gives you that's what he said. He said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will cast none out, and I will lose none of them. Right? So the whosoever's are all of the ones that the Father gave for the Son to save. And they're all going to be saved. Not a single one of them. Well, why do I even bring this up? Because, because think about, and we've got to wear over, and I'm sorry for that. You need to understand what God's grace is. He did not save you because you believe. You believe because He saved you. Yeah. When I get to heaven one day, it's not going to be, I'm so glad that I believed. It's going to be, I'm so glad Jesus brought out to saved so us. That's right. You see, you see where the glory goes in? Yes. One, the glory goes to God. Oh. One, glory goes to my will. I chose Him. That's yes, right. And again, as fallen men, we're always going to reason from a man's perspective of the God's. But what God is saying here is that the Father gave a people to the Son. The Son came and died on the cross to save other people. And every single one of those that He died on that cross to save will be called and drawn by the Holy Spirit and saved and given the gift of the Lord. Not a single one of those whosoever will be lost. So the whosoever is not up. Now it's up to you the whosoevers is a body of people that of the Father has given under the Son. I want that to challenge you guys. I want you to think about what that says. Because so many of, every one of us in this room, including me, are struggling with things in our lives. And every one of us in this room that claim free will have been bound up in addiction. And you mean to tell me that you had a free will when you were addicted? No. No. The addicts are the very ones that are going to proclaim a free will, but what the Bible says is you were dead in your trespassing sin. Right. Walking according to the course of this world, walking accord of Prince Carrey, And you, you had no, you were dead. Amen. But God, who's rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together. You see who gets the credit then? Even when you were dead, God made you alive. If you're in this room today, you are a believer. It's because you are a whosoever. And the reason you're a whosoever is because the Father gave you to the Son 2,000 years before you were ever born. And He loved you enough to go down on the cross and save you. And He made sure that somebody preached the word to you. And He made sure that His Spirit opened your heart to believe that. And when you get the glory one day, He's going to get all the praise and the glory for it. we get nothing up. And that's good. That's how it's supposed to be. Father, thank You for this night. Thank You for this time together. Lord, I I do know that it is so easy for us to see everything from our perspective. But Father, Your Word smashes our egos. It smashes our idol of self. And we have to be able to see things from Your point of view. So our prayer is is that what we've talked about tonight, as we've shared Your Word, as we've gone, gone through these Your scriptures, I pray that you will force us to reason through these scriptures so that we may gain a wisdom and an understanding of how beautiful your grace is and how wonderful your son Jesus is and what it is that he actually did when he came and died on that cross to save broken people like us. I pray for every man and woman in this room. If there be someone here who has never trusted you, I pray, Father, that you open their heart and their mind and help them to receive you and believe you. I pray for everyone in their struggles in this room that are trying to grasp just not only an understanding of the scriptures, but an understanding of life and an understanding of their own very struggles. I pray that you will work in their lives and help them to see you, to receive you, believe you, and trust you, and give them the strength and the willingness to share that with others. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.